You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Last week we started a four-week series on prayer. We looked at prayer as power last week. And today we look at prayer as communion. I'll give more on that in a little bit, but our theme verse really comes from Romans 8. It's Romans 8, 16, but we're going to read the verses surrounding it so you get a little picture of where it falls in the Scripture. This is Romans 8, verses 15 through 17. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the word of the Lord. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, many of you know my parents, and I always knew about God. I would have said I always believed in God. At every children's church or VBS growing up, I probably accepted Jesus into my heart about 50 or 60 times. By the time I got to high school, though, I kept, had this nagging feeling, there's got to be something more than just learning about God from other people. And I was in a wonderful youth group over in Knoxville growing up, and I learned a little bit about what that something more is. They taught me how to read the Bible for myself. They taught me how to pray and ask God for things on my own and not just wait till I got to church or some other time. Fast forward four years later, I was a freshman in college, and I was a freshman trying to follow Jesus, which was a very lonely place to be in college. When you're trying to follow Jesus and very few people around you are, And it kind of felt like God grew a little distant. And the same kinds of ways I'd pray the Bible and the same kinds of ways I'd read the Bible and pray just wasn't quite working anymore, and I felt spiritually dry. I never really learned how to snap out of it either. But I did wonder the whole time, there's got to be something more. And slowly and surely, my fervor for God came back in lots of different ways. I felt the Lord's presence again, but I never figured out what the formula was. Then fast forward four years later, and I was in graduate school, seminary, training to be a pastor. I had Bible classes and theology classes and ethics and Greek and Hebrew, the original languages of the Bible. And as often happens for people in seminary, God felt the most dry to me that I had ever experienced. You're learning all these head knowledge things about God, and I just kept wondering, there's got to be something more. Here I am getting a master's degree in this stuff, and there's got to be something more. Maybe you have been in a similar place in your life, or you are in a similar place now, where you feel stuck with God, or you're wondering, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than just dealing with God and only ever dealing with this addiction. There's got to be something more than just only going to God when I'm in trouble. There's got to be something more than just this laundry list of prayer requests I have of my wants and my needs and the people I love and their wants and their needs. 
There's got to be something more than feeling stuck or feeling dry. And there is. There is something more. It goes by lots of names. Centering prayer, contemplative prayer, meditative prayer. This morning, for a a sake of an umbrella category, I'm calling it communing prayer. There is a way to be with God. Doesn't solve all your problems, but where you can't enjoy Him. Just for Himself. So what is communing prayer? How do we prepare for it? And how do we do it? What is communing prayer? How do we prepare for it? And how do we do it? First, what is communing prayer? Let's start with the Romans 8 passage. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is trying to get Christians in Rome to understand that they belong to God and there's really nothing they can do to overcome that belonging. In verse 15, Paul contrasts the spirit of slavery we have to our own sinful desires, our flesh, the, the, the deep part of us that wants to do our own thing and go our own way. And he contrasts that with a spirit of adoption we have in God. This belonging that makes the Holy Spirit more powerful than our spirit, our selfish desires, or anything that we center on ourselves. And then Paul continues with verse 16, which is really the anchor verse for communing prayer this morning. He says the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the third person in the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, each are distinct from the other, all are a person in the one God. The Holy Spirit, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, the very reality of who God is can be felt and experienced at the bedrock of human existence, our spirit, our soul. We can experience and feel God in that deep place. Now, the early Protestant reformers, this was 500 years ago, they helped reform the church. They loved this verse because it provided a guarantee, an assurance of salvation that God would provide those who believe in him. This was over and against a medieval, a medieval form of Catholicism that always had people wondering whether they were going to heaven or not. But more is going on here than just assurance of eternal salvation. 150 years later, these people called the Puritans came along and said, more is going on here. This is not just about assurance of salvation. This is about communion with God. This is about being with Him on an ongoing basis. The felt reality that the Holy Spirit indwells Christians, we can somehow become more aware of that. We can somehow enjoy that more over our lifetimes. And the Puritans called this the inner witness of the Spirit. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, This intimacy with God is that light that comes and overpowers a person's soul and assures him that God is his and that God loves him from everlasting. The ongoing felt reality of belonging to God. If the Protestant reformers emphasize that we are children of God, the Puritans 150 years later said, We are children of God. Just like a child who ongoingly experiences the love of their parent. This is the picture we get in Psalm 131, verse 2. That of a weaned child before its mother is what the psalmist says, is, was like my soul before God. Now what is a weaned child? 
A weaned child is a child who is no longer nursing, but who is still can't really do everything for themselves. They can't necessarily go out and get their own food or clothe themselves. So broadly speaking, I think the picture of the psalmist gives us here of how a soul is before God is about an 18-month-old to about a four-year-old. And the psalmist is saying, I don't actually need God for sustenance here. I just want to be in his presence. Like a child who doesn't need the nursing of her mother anymore, I just want to be near. Friends, this is the biblical picture of snuggling. Yes, if you're wondering, is that in the Bible? Yes, like a child who just wants to sit in her mother's lap. The psalmist says, you can have this experience of God, this inner witness of the Spirit, this direct connection, which can happen before or after conscious mental reflection. Consider the image again of a weaned child. A two-year-old is brash regarding the love of their parents. They expect it. Let's just assume we're talking about good, loving parents here. And a two-year-old is brash. They know that if they go to the parent, the parent will clothe them, feed them, and even a two-year-old, when they ask to be picked up, the parent will pick them up and hold them. A two-year-old, when they have a schlocky craft they've put together, they know when they take it to their parent, the parent will delight in it. No matter how bad it is, a two-year-old delights in being delighted in. A two-year-old tantrums and is disciplined by their parent, and then a minute later they forget about it. And they assume and presume on the love of their parents for them. When a two-year-old is tired or sick or hurt, a two-year-old has no problem being still and being held by its mother with no words at all. To relate to God in this way, is to begin to understand communing prayer. The experience of God's nearness, enjoying Him. So, that's the definition of communing prayer. How do we prepare for it? Now, when I say we, we got to prepare for it, I'm assuming there are normally conditions that we need to meet before we're aware of the reality that is. That is, the Holy Spirit indwells us. God is always near. Sometimes we say, I'm not close to God right now. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you're always close. It's just a matter of whether you're aware of it or not. And you can prepare for that. How do you do it? The first thing is you've got to be a Christian. I don't want to gloss over that point too quickly. In Romans 8, Paul is writing to this church in Romans saying, look, you've got to, the Holy Spirit indwells you. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you can have this access to God. But if you don't have the Spirit empowering your belief and trust in God, you can't really commune with Him on an ongoing basis. So if you're in the room this morning and you're not a Christian, but you're like, I'm interested more in what you're describing, please come talk to me after the service. Also, there may be some of you in the room who think you are a Christian, but you're actually not. You don't know God this way. You don't know Him this way, and you're not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And if you're like, oh, maybe that's me, then please come talk to me after the service. But if you are a Christian, you can engage in communing prayer, and it's important to prepare for it. Take the lessons that Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. Jesus arose very early in the morning. 
when it was still dark. That means Jesus prioritized a specific time. He also prioritized a specific place. Verse 35 says it was desolate, meaning that there wasn't a lot of visual distractions. And in verses 36 and 37, he described a picture where people frantically needed Jesus, where the disciples are rushing to Jesus. And what do they say? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone. And yet he still went away very early in the morning. You don't think Jesus knew that everyone was looking for him? And he still went away. So let me summarize some key ideas here for preparing ourselves for communing prayer. Communing prayer, excuse me. You've got to prioritize a time, a place, and you've got to prioritize your own soul with the Lord before meeting the needs of others. Let's get a little more specific about each. You must prioritize either a time of day or a time of week despite the urgent things that you face. And everybody faces urgent things and no one faced more urgent things than Jesus who was trying to save the world. Now, Jesus prioritized the morning. And I used to think when I, early on in my life trying to spend time with God, I used to think, well, morning, first thing when you wake up, that's what you got to do. That's the right way to go. I no longer think that. When I was in college, I read an influential book from the 1950s called The Cross and the Switchblade about this Pentecostal pastor who went to inner city New York and ministered to the gangs. And one of the things that wasn't even the point of the book, I remember, is that he was always spending time with the Lord at night. He was a night owl. What is your best time of day? What is your most unadulterated time of day? What is the time of day you feel the most energetic? Might be the morning. Might be the evening. Maybe you uh, work part-time or you work remotely from home, and your best time is in the middle of the day, and you can take a half hour to be with the Lord. Regardless, pick a time of the day. Or if a time of the day is challenging for you, find a time of the week. Maybe it's Saturday morning. Maybe it's Sunday afternoon. And once you have found a time, guard it with your life. I don't pray the same time every day. I have about four different mornings a week that work really well for me. And then the whole day of Friday I take as a Sabbath. But whatever you do in a daily or weekly rhythm, pick a time and guard it with your soul. Guard it with your very life. Next, prioritize a location. Jesus went somewhere desolate. Now, by accident, people will often tell me that if they have enough courage to shut off the car radio or the podcast, the car winds up being the accidental place they have the best time with God. Or the shower. Now, the shower and the car usually have two things in common. You're by yourself, and there's white noise. And so you're drowning out the other things that may distract you. And so accidentally, you're just finding yourself in conversation with God. Now, you cannot sustain a life of communing prayer by accident, but you can plan for it. Maybe it is the car for you, in which case pick the car. Maybe it's a chair in a specific room. Maybe it's, and I would say, especially pick a chair in a room where there's not a lot of other clutter around. Maybe not your to-do stuff. And it's really, really important that not only do you not have audible distraction, you need to have some silence. It's also important not to have visual distraction. You will fail at communing prayer 100% of the time if your phone is in the same room. I should say that again. You will fail 100% of the time if your phone is in the room with you. More and more, would it surprise you if you heard me say that I think the uh, modern smartphone is the enemy of the spiritual life? 
It probably wouldn't surprise you that I'm saying it, but here I am saying it again. Last preparation. If you've got to prioritize a time and a place, you also have to prioritize yourself and your own soul with the Lord first before meeting the needs of others. So whether you've picked the morning or the evening, turn off your email notifications and your text notifications and your social media notifications and get your phone somewhere else. Not everybody has to be on email every 30-minute segment of every day. I promise you, very few jobs are like that. And you can complain about your job, and maybe your job's annoying, and maybe you need a new job. But chances are you don't have a job that requires you from 9.30 to 10 every night to be on your email. You can spend time with God. Others of you may complain, well, you don't understand. I've got these little kids running around. I do understand. Sometimes the stress of having little children at home gets in the way of our creativity here. It was just six years ago. All three of our children were born in Colorado. We had no family around. We had lots of little kids. But my wife and I both prioritized our souls with the Lord. And so one of the things we would do is if daily time with the Lord was really challenging, and it was, and it is, uh, we'd try to do it on a weekly basis where we'd swap times. I'd watch the kids for three hours, and she'd go be with the Lord or a friend or whatever, and then we'd switch, vice versa. There are lots of ideas and strategies like that I could give you. But don't let the stress of the constant need of little children get in the way of some creative solutions you could have there. The truth is no one was more in demand than Jesus. So if you prioritize communing prayer, you can come up with ideas. Maybe they're on a monthly basis, but you can come up with something. And truthfully, the vast majority of you, the vast majority of you could give up social media and you'd have all the time and silence you need. I think the demands of others is often an excuse we make to avoid God. Truthfully, I really do. The demands of others is just, we're afraid of the pain it would feel like to actually sit with God and let him love us. Because it's really hard. And so we just choose distraction instead. So if you'd like to continue making your excuses, you're welcome to do that. All the excuses, I don't have enough time, whatever. That's fine, you don't. I can't make you want to commune with God. But if you do, just a little bit, you'll prioritize it. Are you willing to carve out the time, the location, and your own needs in order to enjoy God at this deep level? So we've defined communing prayer. We've prepared for it. How do we do it? This is really where the rubber hits the road. It's very, very, very hard. Psalm 131 gives us some direction. In verse 1 of Psalm 131, the psalmist approaches God in humility, not with pride. He says, my eyes are not too haughty. I, I'm, not, I'm not after, like, the best thing. I'm not after the, the most rapturous thing. I'm not after the, all the awesomeness of God. I just, I just want to be still before you, God. I think he's teaching us some humility here. You know, hey, I just want to be with God. Whatever he wants to give me today, I just want to be with God. There's lots of ways... You could approach God like that. It could be a prayer of confession, such as we pray here on Sunday mornings. It could be a breath prayer. Uh, a breath prayer is breathing in an attribute of God and breathing out your request. The, the f- most famous breath prayer is the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you breathe really deeply and really slowly. This is a way to begin to slow yourself down to be with God. And then we use our bodies. Verse 2 says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
like a weaned child. Well, we've discussed to have a calm and quiet soul, most of the time you're going to need a calm and a quiet place. And then we use our bodies. We still our movement. We slow our breathing. And we breathe in what we want of God. And then we might simplify our thoughts on one thing. Verse 3 of Psalm 131 says, a, a hope in God, O Israel, hope in God, for the present and the future. Maybe the psalmist is in some kind of despair. Maybe the psalmist is just needing a more hopeful posture. But that's the one thing he's thinking about. That's his breath prayer is verse 3. I'm still in quiet in my soul, and all I'm thinking about is hope. And so when you do communing prayer, it's just really helpful to fix your thoughts on one thing about God. And then, tellingly, something key. The psalm ends. The psalmist stops after verse 3. The psalmist, I think, after he's written this psalm and enjoyed God, he has simply just stopped writing and he is in the process of enjoying God. He is in the process of just communing with God. He is snuggling with God, if you will. Now let's get a little more specific again because there are many ways you could engage in communing prayer. I don't want you to think that there's just one formula or something. There's not. There are lots of ways you can engage communing prayer. One is as the psalmist exemplifies, with a quiet place, a quiet soul, deep breaths, few words, and enjoying God. I've already talked about breath prayer as well. One of my most common breath prayers is, because I'm just always an anxious mess on the inside, God of Sabbath, give me rest. I find myself praying that dozens of times a day, just to be with God. There are other ways as well. Jonathan Edwards, uh, another Puritan of the 1700s, says that the inner witness of the Spirit often happens when you are still with God, and then he'll call to your mind certain scriptures. Not scripture that you may have read in that particular session with God, in that particular session of prayer, but he says you might find a scripture coming to your mind and it warms your heart. And what God wants for you in that moment is not to think new thoughts about the scripture, but to simply rest in it. To simply enjoy what God has called to your mind and find comfort in it and just sit there with it. One of the ways I try to do that is I actually journal scripture. I write it out by hand, just a verse or two at a time. Usually that's all it takes. And writing things out by hand, which is like becoming a lost art in 21st century American culture, slows me down. And I try to really use really good penmanship because I don't have good handwriting. By doing that, though, what happens is I'm forced to really think about each word, each metaphor in the scripture, each verb. And all of a sudden, doing that over a few verses, I, f- I find something jumping out at me. And if, I, if, if my thoughts, jumping out of my thoughts, or it's warming my heart, I realize, oh, that's, that's the word that God has for me today. And I don't have to keep going on after that. I actually just stop. And I rest in it, and I enjoy it, and say, God, sometimes I don't know, and I don't know, like, God, why are you bringing this to my mind? But a lot of times I'm like, that's what I needed. I'm just going to rest in it. And the warmth, the inner witness of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with my spirit, that I belong to God, that feeling lasts usually a minute or two. It's not very long. But I'm enjoying God. Now, some people have a more mystical bent, and they can be in that state with God forever. I'm, I'm left-brained. I don't know. I'm trying. Some of you are much holier than me. 
But my point I'm trying to say is there are things you can do to commune with God. Just like there are things you can do to commune with your best friend or your spouse or your children. There are all manner of small or subtle practices you could engage to commune with God. So if you're hungry for more, one last advertisement for the Spiritual Disciplines Workshop that Laura is leading over here in one of the rooms on Sunday morning. It just started today, but it's not too late. You, you can still go, and you'll get a lot more specific practices that you're doing together, more ideas. If you're like, actually, I hear what you're saying, but I didn't quite connect with it. I am hungry for more, Dave, but I'm going to need some more help. Hit that up next Sunday at 845 in the morning. These are just a few glimpses of how to begin in communing prayer. I want to end with one last encouragement. This is really hard. You will struggle, and you will fail often at this. Like, oh man, I'm just so distracted. I just spent 45 minutes, and then I don't feel any better. I'm more agitated because this thing at work was bothering me so much, and now I have to go to work, which is probably me more than half the time, truthfully. You will fail at this. And so when you do fail, remember in your struggle and strain that when you want to approach God, he wants to approach you even more. In fact, he did. In the person of Christ, he left the glories of heaven to approach you, to be near you. And with Christians, he sends a spirit into your very hearts. So whether you're feeling the Holy Spirit or not, he is near you. And he says, I want to be near you. And like a two-year-old who forgets so easily that they have been disciplined or that they have failed, We can run back to God expecting the Father's love in the person of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we admit that this form of being with you is one we'll have for eternity. And it is often elusive to us. Would you find that one practice, that one thought, that one breakthrough for us that would help us find deeper places with you and experience. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.